Well, we've just read Luke 2. And if one of the persons that we are introduced to in Luke chapter 2, the following has been written. Quote, The providence which divinely ordered our lives, created with zeal and munificence the most perfect good for our lives by producing this person and sending us and those after us a Savior who put an end to war and established all things. And when he appeared, he exceeded the hopes of all who had anticipated good tidings and the birthday of the God marked for the world the beginning of good tidings through his coming. End quote. And so this announcement, it speaks of one who works the most perfect good in our lives, who is both our Savior and the Savior of all of those who come after us, one who puts an end to war and establishes all things in the stability of peace, one who more than meets our wildest expectations for all of the good things for which we have so long hoped. One whose day of birth is the very birthday of the God and the beginning of all of these wonderful happenings. And so we have to ask, this particular announcement, of whom does it speak? Well, perhaps surprisingly, this was not written about Jesus Christ, but rather another person that we find in Luke chapter 2, Caesar Augustus. And so when the angels tell the shepherds of the good news of Christ's birth, they are using an official term. Good news is a technical term. It speaks of a kind of royal announcement. And while the angels speak of the good news of Jesus Christ here in this announcement that, that came from the, the Roman Empire, we find the good news of Caesar Augustus. And so something has, has happened, or more properly put, two things have happened. Jesus Christ has come into the world, but so has Caesar Augustus. And we have to ask ourselves, which of these two comings, which of these two advents truly is good news of great joy? And I want to answer this question by looking at this passage under two headings. The human who became God and the God who became human. So let's start by looking at the human that became God. Now, uh, the Romans had a practice that was not uncommon at the time. They, they often venerated their rulers as God-like figures. And if, if you think about that quotation that I read, if you were going to achieve all of those things, then, then certainly Caesar Augustus could be no mere human. He would need to be a kind of God, and, and really what better reason to give one person so much power than the fact that, that he possesses divinity? But we have to ask ourselves, what is it that Caesar Augustus actually does? And how does Caesar Augustus act toward his people? We find that he orders a census, a census that goes throughout all of the many regions of the Roman Empire. And this shows us a couple things. Uh, first of all, it shows us Caesar Augustus' own ignorance of his people. 
He doesn't know how many they are, and he doesn't know from where they, they come. So then everyone has to go back to their home town. But it also shows us the need of Caesar Augustus. Because what's the ultimate purpose of a census? Well, it's, it's taxation. It's, it's getting money from his people. And so Caesar Augustus, if he is a god, is a god that needs his people. He needs his people in order that he himself can be rich, can be wealthy, can be powerful, can be well-resourced. And so if Caesar Augustus is a god, then he is a god that takes And the point here is not taxation, that this is something that we expect governments to do in some way, shape, or form, but the question is, is taxation and action befitting of a god? Is this a story of power or futility? Is is this a story of of strength or of weakness? Well, to be sure, it it is a story of of power, and, and we see here the greatest power of all. But it's not from Caesar Augustus. When we look closely at this account, we find two layers. Mary and Joseph are required to travel to to Bethlehem. They're required to travel to the city of David, and, and they must do so because of the census. However, even though this command comes from a supposed god, Caesar Augustus, it's actually a part of the plan and the purpose of someone much greater, someone infinitely greater. As one commentator writes, quote, the universal rule of Augustus is conceived as subordinate to another purpose, the aim of God. Rome is made unwittingly to serve a still greater sovereign, end quote. And so for Caesar Augustus, the census is an act of need. But for God, it's an act of giving. The ultimate aim, the divine aim of the census, is not that of a false God taking from his people, but rather it's the one true God giving to his people the most wonderful gift of all, himself. As was promised long ago by the prophet Micah, the Savior of the world, God's gift to us, Jesus Christ himself, was to be born in Bethlehem, in the city of David. And now this census becomes merely a means by which God fulfills this promise. And while Caesar Augustus seems to be in control, God himself is arranging all things according to his plan and according to his promise. God is that great. And unlike Caesar Augustus, he is so great that he does not need us. He's not a God that taxes his people with burdens. He's not a God who needs us to be who he is. Rather, we are the ones who are wholly and completely dependent upon him. And so what does this mean? It means that our relation to God is always one of receiving We are given life by God. We are given the good gifts of creation by God. We are kept alive at every single moment by God. And to be a creature is to recognize this need, to recognize that we are those who always, always, always receive from God. And to be a creature is to recognize that God is the one who gives 
and gives and gives, and not for his own gain, but only for ours. God already has fullness of life and joy in himself. He does not create us. He does not make us to increase his own joy. It's already infinite. He creates us in order to share his fullness of life and his fullness of joy with us. And so contrary to Caesar Augustus, the essence of being God is not needing your people, but giving to them. God relates to us not on the principle of taxation, not on the principle of need, but always on the principle of gift. And so the essence of being a creature is gladly and gratefully receiving all that we are and all that we have from God. Yet, as, as theologian Rowan Williams warns us, quote, being a creature is in danger of becoming a lost art, end quote. And so we have to ask ourselves, how have we forgotten, denied, lost the art of being a creature? How have we failed to gladly and gratefully receive from God? And perhaps most importantly, how can we tell? Well, in the coming week, because of the Christmas holiday, you will likely have more time for rest. But will you actually be able to rest? Rest requires a kind of confidence, a kind of assurance, a kind of security. Rest actually requires a deep, deep trust. So let's explore this. Ask yourself, will you be able to step away from work, from studies, from research, from carting kids to lessons and to practices? Won't that leave our careers, our studies, our home, our children, our finances in a more fragile or precarious situation? Won't we risk losing these things in some way, shape, or form? Well, if we were ultimately in control of these things, then the answer would be yes. If we are ultimately responsible for our professions, for our family, for our finances, for all of the activities that we've given ourselves to, then yes, there is no good reason to rest. Just keep striving and striving and striving. It's all on you, it's on your shoulder, and there's always somebody, some competitor ready to take your place or the place of one of your children. If that's the case, then resting is a dangerous and a foolish waste of time. But if this is how we go about life, then we ourselves are no different than Caesar Augustus. We too are making ourselves out to be gods. And this is an exhausting responsibility that offers no rest. If our ultimate trust is always and only in ourselves, we will always be working, always be striving, never resting, never ceasing. However, if we remember that we are creatures, we will find rest. If we remember that our professions, our finances, our families, all of the responsibilities we have are actually gifts from God, then we will receive them gladly and gratefully. Yes, we will work hard. Yes, we will steward these things well. But we will know that none of these things ultimately rely upon 
us. And so we can rest because we trust God. We will work, we will tend, we will work to till the soil, but we know that it is God who brings the growth. And so I invite you to rest this Christmas, to trust that God will bear the burdens of sustaining your work, your family, your responsibilities. Remember that these are gifts that God gave you in the first place, and because they're gifts of God, he means you to use them to rely and trust upon him. But if these things become means by which you rely and trust upon yourself, then you've got the whole thing backwards. And only if you truly and deeply trust God will you find this rest. Will you remember that you are a creature and you're not what Caesar Augustus thought he was, a god, but you're what Caesar Augustus actually was, a human. The 17th century French philosopher Blaise Pascal once said the following, quote, The sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he does not know how to sit quietly in his room. End quote. And so ask yourself, this Christmas holiday, are you able to sit quietly in your room? Will you gratefully reflect upon the good gifts that God has given you? Or will you think about all the work you could be doing, all the skills for success your children could be learning, all the miles you could be running, all the books you could be reading, all the papers you could be writing, all the job postings you could be finding, all of the exciting family memories you could be making? This is exhausting and this is not rest. See if you're able to spend unhurried time with your family, with your friends, with your God. See if you're able to rest and act like a creature. See if you're able to trust God rather than yourself. God does not need us. We need him. And that's why the announcement that heralds his coming is good news of great joy. And that's why the announcement that heralds the coming of Caesar Augustus is anything but. And the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ is good news, and it pushes us to a deeper trust still. Which brings us to our second and final point, the God become human. Remember that in, in Luke 2.11, we find the, the angels, and the angels appear to the shepherds, and they announce the following. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. End quote. And this good news of great joy is good news of great joy because it confronts our very deepest issue of trust. It confronts the deepest reasons why we cannot sit quietly in our room. We strive and strive and strive, but do we ever step back and ask ourselves, why is it that we do it? Well, deep down, we know that we seek praise. We know that we seek acclaim, acceptance, validation, love. We seek to know that our life matters. We seek to know that our life is not a waste of time. Yet we modern people find ourselves in a very difficult situation on this score. 
In the words and, and diagnosis of author and literature professor Alan Noble, we have been told, quote, no one has the right or ability to tell you what your life means, why it matters, or what your purpose is. No one can decide why your life matters except you. You have to live your truth, end quote. But as Noble explains, if, if that's the case, then that means the only guarantee, the only certainty that you are leading a worthwhile life, that you are leading a, a good life, however you want to define good, well, that means it must come from yourself. It, it, can't, from the, it can't come from the outside. It, it has to come from within. But that also means something further still. As Noble points out, quote, no one can absolve you or pardon you, end quote. Only you can do such a thing. And so we find ourselves as modern people in attention. We desire a word from the outside, but we are committed to being our own sources of meaning and of purpose. And people might offer us suggestions, advice, recommendations, but they can't tell you that your life matters, that you're not wasting your time. They simply don't have that right. And so work and family and accomplishments and romance and a million other activities become a way that we can justify our existence, that we can prove that we have not wasted the brief time that we have, and if there's no one to tell us, okay, there is no one to tell us that, that now you've done enough, that now you've done well, that now your life matters, now you are somebody, now you can rest, now you can stop. And so we strive and strive and strive, doing our best to convince ourselves and others that our life is a good one. And friends, this is an exhausting burden. It allows no rest, and certainly it will not allow you to sit quietly in your room. We know that the inner voice we hear in our heads does not really have the ability to give us meaning, to grant us pardon, to absolve us of all of the many ways that we know that we have fallen short. And so we, we think it's better not to listen to this voice. Let's not sit quietly in our room. Let's just keep striving and striving and striving. And this is the good news of Caesar Augustus. This is the news of humans becoming gods. And again, it's no good news at all. It's a crushing burden. We can't bear it. It will give us no rest because we as humans cannot bear the weight of our life. But the good news of great joy announced by the angels, well, this is different. This is the news of God the Son becoming human. And what does this mean? Well, it means that there is a meaning outside of you, a meaning given by God, and it means that the weight of life is not on your shoulders. There is a voice, a voice from the outside, the voice of God himself. And God really can say, here is the good 
life. And so we don't bear the burden of justifying our existence. But this also means that we can fall short. And all of us have fallen short of the good life that God calls us to, a life of perfect love of God and neighbor. And to sit quietly in our room is to know this. It's to listen to that voice that knows all of the ways that we have failed to live up even to our own meaning. It tells us that we have criticized others for such and such an action, but then done the very same thing ourselves. It tells us that the very things that we can't stand in others, well, we find deep within ourselves. And so even if this voice could grant us pardon, well, we know that it wouldn't. This voice knows better. And so again, we seek to silence this voice with more and more striving. Yet the good news of Jesus Christ is not that of a human becoming God, but that of God becoming human. And God did so, as God always does, in order to give. God the Son came into the world as a human, and he did so to live the perfect human life, the most righteous human life, the most loving human life, the most fulfilled human life, and he lived that life on our behalf. And he offers the status, the credit, the righteousness of that perfect human life to us. If we have faith in him, Jesus' standing before God for his perfect life becomes our standing before God. If we receive Christ by faith, then when God looks upon us, he actually sees Christ himself. He sees the one human life worthy of divine approval, and he lavishes upon us the love and approval that we so desperately seek but we know we don't deserve. And he does all of this because of his love for us. And so our existence is not justified by us, but by Jesus Christ himself. And as it always is with God, this is a gift. God became human to live the perfect human life on our behalf. And this news gets better still. While God gives, he does also take. But he, he doesn't take in the way that Caesar Augustus takes. He does not burden his people by taking their benefits, but he benefits his people by taking their burdens. We've all done wrong, and we know this. And we know that we cannot pardon ourselves. Yet God can, and if we are in Christ, then God has. On the cross, Christ bore our burden of guilt, of all those things that do not let our inner voice even try to pardon us. And so if you are in Christ, then regardless of what your inner voice might say, you have received the very pardon of God. This is good news of great joy, and this is why Jesus Christ came into the world. And this is the only true rest, the only true rest, 
that we can or ever will find in this world of humans always seeking to shoulder the crushing burden of becoming gods. For in Christ, God has become human, received this gift, receive, receive, receive this gift gladly and gratefully by faith. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you that you give and give and give. You give us creation, but you also give us salvation. You have given us the gift of salvation in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Give our hearts rest. Give our hearts assurance as we rest our faith in him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we come now to our final scripture reading of the night. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and 9 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth.